Welcome to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Skin care and plastic surgery are hot topics these days. Let Dr. Rubenstein answer your questions and explain what you'll want to look for in aesthetic products and cosmetic procedures. Get ready for a discussion about all things aesthetic. Now, live from Miami, Florida, American Board Certified Plastic Surgeon, Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Welcome to New Reflections. Now, this show that we're doing today, this has been greatly anticipated. We did a show on Botox not that long ago. Uh, we did it, I guess, you know, actually, it's been some time now. But this show is something special. We have a terrific lineup of people to talk to. Uh, doctors are going to share their knowledge on this subject of Botox. And the show this week is called Your Face Should Freeze Like That. It's all about the neurotoxins. Now, Botox has become a household word. In fact, it's the number one non-surgical treatment offered in the United States. There's over 5 million people that get Botox injections annually, and probably a great deal more than that. That's just one agency's reporting. It's from the American Society for Aesthetic Plastic Surgery. And the, the numbers are probably tremendously higher than that when you take all the specialties that are providing Botox treatments uh, into account. So by far and away, the number one non-surgical thing that's offered. Now, how did this all get started? Well, back in the 19th century, there's uh, a Dr. Uh, Justinus Kerner, who, uh, Dr. Kerner, was the first person to identify this entity called botulism. In fact, the word botulism is taken from the Latin word botulum uh, for sausage. And the reason is because it had something to do with meat that was not properly stored. And it, in fact, it was originally called sausage poison, believe it or not. We've come a long way from that description of botulism. Uh, it, but Bo Botox is not that old a, a treatment. It really is just in the 1980s that uh, it was first seen to have cosmetic effect. And the first article describing cosmetic effect wasn't published until 1989. And the first article talking about the use of Botox for cosmetic purposes was published in 1992, though that work had started even as early as 1987. And we're privileged to have the author of that article with us today. We've got a great lineup. That That is Dr. Alistair Carruthers. And Dr. Carruthers and his wife, Dr. Jean Carruthers, are both world-renowned Botox experts and some of the pioneers of the use of Botox for cosmetic purposes. And we're privileged to have him on the show today. Also joining us are Dr. Timothy Flynn, who is a board-certified dermatologist. He's the president-elect of the American Society of Dermatologic Surgery. And he's going to talk to us about some of the new kids on the block, particularly Xeomin. Botox was the first product out there being used. And then after Botox was used for cosmetic purposes, we had a couple new players come into the scene. There's, uh, besides the Xeomin, which is the newest kid on the block, there's also Disport, which has been around for quite some time, uh, particularly in Europe and now in the United States for a number of years. And so we'll talk about the differences. How do you choose? If you're out there thinking about having Botox treatments, is there a difference? Does it matter? We'll talk about that and make it clear. And Dr. Carruthers has something very special to share with us that we're going to get into, which might revolutionize the way you get your Botox treatments. And also joining us today, rounding out the show, is Dr. Charles Soparkar. Dr. Soparkar is a board-certified ophthalmologist who has done research into diet and the use of Botox and has some interesting things to talk about relating to supplements that you take and the food that you eat and how it can affect the, the results of your Botox treatments. But I really want to get to our first guest, 
I'd like to uh, introduce him to the show. This is, of course, as I mentioned before, is Dr. Alistair Carruthers, who is an absolute pioneer in Botox, one of the first in the world to discuss and research and use Botox for cosmetic purposes. He's clinical professor of dermatology at the University of British Columbia, and we are very privileged to have him on the show. Dr. Carruthers, welcome to New Reflections. Good morning, Adam. It's my pleasure. Well, it really is ours, and I'm so happy to have you sharing your knowledge and your experience with us. Talk to me about how Botox first came on your radar. When did you begin thinking, hey, you know, we, we could use this and use it for cosmetic purposes? Um, well, like Dr. Sabaka, my wife's an ophthalmologist, and she uh, was interested in this new treatment which could help her to treat misaligned eyes. Uh, called strabismus and so she spent time with Adam Scott who was the person who, who he's really the genius behind the whole botulinum toxin for clinical use uh, thing he, uh, um, he, he got a, the idea got a hold of the toxin uh, from Ed Shantz, um and uh, started using it in monkeys and then in humans so Jean went to work with him, and she brought it uh, back home uh, to Canada. And then one day over the dinner table, she said, you know, my, uh, my poison will get rid of your patient's wrinkles because uh, I had a cosmetic side to my practice at that time. And uh, I realized that we really weren't doing very well with the lines between the eyebrows, the 11s or... You know, the anger, worry, stress uh, lines there. And um, so I said, uh-huh, because we had three boys that were about uh, eight, nine, ten at the time, and so meal times were fairly fraught. <laughs> and, uh, and then um, the next day she injected our receptionist. Now, Kathy, of course, um, uh, it, it, it was a busy office, and uh, by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, she looked quite ferocious because she'd have spent all morning uh, frowning at these people. But she knew <laughs> that this was a very simple, straightforward, and effective treatment because she'd been booking Jean's patients in uh, for treatment of um, uh, benign essential blepharospasm, these people who blink so much that they can't get their eyes open. And um, th this is uh, a... A spect botulinum toxin is a spectacular treatment for that. So she'd been talking to these people, watching them. She knew it was very easy. So when Jean said, how would you like to get rid of those um, lines? Kathy said, sure, sounds a great idea. So she treated her. And about two days later, I looked at Kathy, and I knew we had a world beater. Uh, and that was 1987. Um, it took us four years to put together a collection of um, people, the general reaction was, you want to inject what? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when you're talking, we still get that, by the way. I'm sure you do in your practice for some of the newcomers. And, and you know, the, the, and that's, I think, one of the reasons that a lot of people shy away from the treatment. And you and I know it, it's a fairly innocuous treatment when used properly. And there has, there's, I think, still... That sentiment out there. Some people feeling it. You want to. You want to put poison. You want to put a toxin in me. That doesn't sound like it's a good idea. But clearly, it's a safe treatment. And even starting back in in 1987, when you began, you worked out very safe protocols. So, what would you say to someone today that still feels that way? Um, I say 
my wife hasn't frowned since 1987. (laughs) (laughs) And I would never, ever put anything into her which would harm her. Well, so, certainly, I think that's that's certainly the greatest endorsement. It it, it yeah. is clearly. I mean, millions and millions of people have this done annually, right. and that's just in the United States. You know, worldwide, right. it's it it probably is in the hundreds of millions. The the other thing is to point out the magnitude of the dose. That a typical dose of Botox is a billionth of a gram. Two extra strength Tylenol uh, or two extra strength aspirin are a gram. In other words, we're using. Such tiny doses, we put it exactly where we want it. It's like a bulldog. It doesn't wander around looking for a home. It's, it grabs a hold where, it, um, where you inject it, and it doesn't move. There's just not enough to cause any systemic problems. Well, there's an interesting thing. Uh, I agree. I agree. I think we put it, it stays where we put it. It doesn't really migrate. It, it works in the local area where it's placed, and it works quite well. But there have been some papers recently that suggest that maybe there is some migration, and uh, in fact, it'd be a good time to talk about uh, Dysport, because Dysport is purported to move a little bit further than Botox. There is some sense of it perhaps in, working distant from where it's placed. In fact, I believe that there's a new labeling warning that the FDA made the manufacturers put on the product talking about distant uh, effects. So what do you think of that? Um, the, the, when you start to compare Dysport and Botox, it gets very complicated because the Dysport units uh, are different from Botox units, and, and the same is true to a lesser extent with Xeomin. So uh, since we know that the things like spread and rapidity of onset uh, and duration are all related to dose. If you don't know exactly what a comparable dose is, it's very hard to say that there, these things um, have different properties. Uh, when it comes right down to it, you know that if you go to the drugstore and buy ibuprofen, uh, it's the same stuff as Advil. And it probably works exactly the same, but not, maybe not quite the same, Right. And, and this is the difference between dysportsium and Botox, that it's the same material, it works almost exactly the same, and then people argue as to whether one spreads a little more than the other. Um, the, the difference is not huge. Right, well, and that's, that's a great point to bring up. A lot of these differences are very subtle, and the majority of them are probably for marketing benefit. You know, when, you know, this is sort of the uh, Coke and Pepsi or, you know, you and I are old enough to remember Macy's Gimbals. Uh, you know, this is this is one company trying to differentiate themselves from the other and trying to show the public that, hey, our product's better because and, and trying to come up with truthful, though perhaps not all that important differences. Right. So. I think there's a lot of positioning and, and uh, posturing for marketing purposes. But Botox was the only kid on the block for a long time in the United States. And Dysport, for many years, was available in Europe, finally got FDA approval. And I think Dysport has taken a, a, a good chunk of the market for uh, botulinum treatments. And I, I've personally found it to be as effective. You know, when I advise my patients because right now all we have are uh, Botox and Dysport, 
I advise my patients that the disport claims to work faster and last longer, and I have not seen that to be the case universally, that I have some patients that do believe that for themselves, and I've seen it in their results, and other patients that feel like Botox works better for them. And there's probably truth to both sides because they're subtly different substances and probably have uh, different effects in different people, and people will also develop resistance over time, potentially, to one or the other. And it really, I leave it in the hands of the patient to make the choice. A lot of times it's financial choice because of promotional discounts or rebates or whatnot. So we don't see a lot of clinical difference between the, the at least Botox and Dysport. Let me introduce our next guest, and we're going to get into Xeomin that we've, uh, we've mentioned briefly a little earlier in the show. Our next guest is Dr. Timothy Flynn. Dr. Flynn is a board-certified dermatologist, and he is also president-elect of the American Society for Dermatologic Surgery. He is an authority in neurotoxin treatments and particularly was one of the researchers and early users of Xeomin. Dr. Flynn, thanks for coming on to the show. Well, Adam, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here with you and also my colleague, Dr. Carruthers. What a wonderful show you've had so far. Well, we're very privileged. I'm happy to have both of you on the show. You've heard some of the discussion about how I think Dr. Carruthers and I feel about Botox and Dysport differences. And what's your take on that before we get into Xeomin? Well, you know, I think they are, since they're biologic products, they are all, in a sense, biologically different. And the FDA has given each one of them their own unique generic name or chemical name that we use in our scientific publications. But the bottom line is, when you get to use these products in the clinic, an astute physician can learn to use these products very well. And the use of these products is what accounts for these remarkably good results that we get and the high degree of patient satisfaction. Well, that's a great point. I think, you know, we're, we're really splitting hairs when we're talking about the differences between these things. At the end of the day, the results are spectacular. There's really, other than these group of products, these neurotoxins, there's nothing else that can achieve this type of result. Well, that's right. I mean, it's such a a refined and excellent and easy treatment, and the the level of patient satisfaction is so high. I mean, it's truly the wow product. When somebody has a treatment with any one of these products and the right injection technique is used, the proper dose is used, as you know, Adam, we have our patients coming back and say, oh, my God, that's fantastic, and usually something like, why didn't I do this earlier? Yeah, that's funny. That's the same comments we get about uh, breast augmentation and similar <laughs> similar surgeries, too. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's absolutely true. You know, the thing that I see in my practice, and I'm sure both of you have seen it in yours, is, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, Dr. Carruthers, there's a certain apprehension for the first time they come to the office to do it. You know, they they know it's it's a very popular treatment and everyone's having it done. They're a little nervous about it. But once they have the treatment done, suddenly it, it's they're much more comfortable because they realize they were more nervous than they really needed to be, and it's, it's much less of a production than one might anticipate. So, the you know, they're thing, getting... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Adam, the other thing is the, you know, the, the, the treatment with the botulinum toxins are completely reversible. and That's an advantage if anybody was to perhaps they didn't like the result that they achieved or something, or maybe that they 
they, they looked in the mirror, maybe their husband or their, their spouse or their partner commented, gee, you look a little different. Well, you know, the, the effect will go away over a period of time. And, and of course, yet that's also one of its disadvantages. This, right. this treatment must be repeated. Uh, but of course, as we all know, our patients are usually thrilled to have it repeated because the results are, are elegant and natural and look very, very nice. Absolutely. I mean, millions and millions of people every year continue to do it. Uh, we're going to take a short commercial break. When we come back, we're going to get into that new kid on the block, Xeomin, and we'll talk about some of the subtle differences between them and see if there's any reason really to choose one over the other if you're a patient thinking about having these treatments. After this short commercial break, we'll be right back continuing our discussion about the neurotoxins here on New Reflections. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. Make sure you do your homework. Why? This is not my car I'm working on. I may settle for an okay job on that, but I won't settle for anything less when it comes to my body. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust. You can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. That's 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard in the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to the show. We're here at New Reflections talking about the neurotoxins. That's Botox, Dysport, and Xeomin. And we're here with Dr. Alistair Carruthers, who is a pioneer in the use of Botox, and Dr. Flynn, who is tremendously experienced and an authority, particularly in the use of Xeomin, which has just recently been FDA approved. Uh, we're talking about all the neurotoxins, and so we've talked about Botox, we've talked about Dysport a bit. Let's talk about Xeomin. Dr. Flynn, tell us how this all came about. Well, you know, it's very interesting. There was a company called MERS, M-E-R-Z, over in Germany, was working on a, a toxin. It's the same type or family of neurotoxins called the type A uh, strain of toxins, and they were working on it, but they wanted to have a very pure molecule. And so... Due to their manufacturing and purification steps, they came up with what sometimes has been jokingly referred to as just the naked toxin. 
it's a toxin that just contains this zeaman, just contains the active molecule, which is a protein, and it has sort of a light chain and a heavy time, but it, a heavy chain, but it doesn't have any of the other surrounding proteins that are generated by the bacteria Clostridium botulinum that manufactures this toxin. In other words, the bacteria is grown. Then, in the case of zeaman, a series of purification steps are undertaken so that in your little bottle of zeaman, you just have that 150 kilodalton, that's called the molecular weight or size of that protein. That protein is right there. It doesn't have any of the other complexing proteins. Now, what makes this exciting is, first of all, it's a purer product. But second of all, when we go back to our immunology courses, we remember that one of the ways to make somebody kind of mount an immune response against a protein is to inject that protein with a bunch of other different proteins. And you sort of upregulate the person's ability to form antibodies, that is, little other soluble serum factors that go and stop that protein from working. And those antibodies can come in and then before you get an effect of the toxin, stop the toxin from working. Now, Adam, this is usually seen not in the cosmetic land, not in the cosmetic patient, but in what we call the therapeutic patient. Because, uh, you know, thank goodness that Jane and Alistair developed this use in cosmetics. It's been used in neurology, as Alistair mentioned. Dr. Scott was using it in ophthalmology and in children. And... In the case of neurology, sometimes hundreds of units would be used. In the case of somebody with a movement disorder or spasticity or somebody with cerebral palsy. But when you use these hundreds of units over and over again, those people can stop having the effect of the toxin. It can basically, over time, stop working. Right. Now, we we do see this. We we see this even in the cosmetic patients. Every now and then, someone will come in and, you know, all of a sudden, their Botox has stopped working. And, you know, of, of course, we believe this is because of the development of those antibodies that attack the toxin after we inject it and don't let it do its thing. Now, I'll say it's kind of exciting to hear you talk about it because in in my practice, we, you know, years ago, we used to use myoblock. Now, you, you were introducing the idea of zeaman being botulinum toxin type A, and that's what right. Botox is and dysport. It's all in that type A group. Well, of course, when Botox was the only thing around in the type A category, when it stopped working, we had to switch to other options, and that's where perhaps you could use something called myoblock, which is type B. But since we've had Dysport, I've been able to take some of those patients that say, you know, my Botox isn't lasting as long as it used to, or it doesn't seem to work as well generally, and, and try the Dysport. And because of these subtle differences between the substances, I, I've been able to get a, an improved result in those patients just by switching to that. Now, it's exciting to think with the pure nature of zeaman that, you know, really we might be able to just bounce from one to the other if ever there's any resistance and get much better response. Is that what you've seen in your work? Well, yes, at least it's certainly a theoretical concern, and it's really nice to have these options because that's one of the key things in medicine. We like to have options for our patient, and especially if a medicine does stop working, we like to have an armamentarium that we can reach into. And now let's try this new one and see if it works as well, and we often find a very nice effect. In other words, it's restored. Now, Adam, as you know, these 
the fact of what we technically call a secondary non-responder or somebody who's used it and gotten a nice result and then, gee, it's not working as well, is infrequent at cosmetic doses. But there have been reports. Um, at people who've received those, received treatments uh, over several times using Botox, Dysport, etc., and they have seen these secondary non-responders. We haven't had any reports with the Xeomin yet, but we don't have as many numbers of patients worldwide who have yet been treated as we do with the product Botox. So it's a little, I think, premature to say at this point our theory that this pure toxin will not generate as many uh, uh, antibodies. That is certainly a good theory, but, but we can't really say, well, so far we haven't seen any reports of it stopping working or not working because we simply don't have the numbers of patients out there that have been treated yet. Well, right. I, I think that's fair. But, you know, the, theoretically, it should have that advantage. So, you know, and we are talking about theoretic differences. Let's talk about uh, any material difference. You know, when, when Dysport came to the market, they had a, a short, small study that looked at duration and looked at time of onset. And Dr. Carruthers, you were, you were talking about these variables a little earlier as really being the important differences between the stuff. You know, if a patient's going to ask for one over the other, that's what they want to know. They want to know, is it going to kick in faster? Is it going to last longer? You know, am I getting the best bang for my buck? And, uh, so, let me get your opinions, Dr. Carruthers, the difference between Botox and Dysport, and if you have any experience with uh, Xeomin, what your thoughts are there, if there's any real material difference that you've seen a consistent trend. Um, as I said earlier, I think the differences are relatively small between these products. And um, the big problem with Dysport is to work out exactly what the same dose is. The other thing is that um, it, when you're looking at an individual treatment, in other words, a specific individual and, and their response to this particular injection, they, um, it, you can't really tell uh, very well. We have to go to the big studies, and of course, one of the advantages of using a toxin is that the FDA uh, really makes you do intensive studies, and you've got to look at the big studies. When you do uh, big studies, it turns out that there is little or no difference in the uh, onset of effect between the three toxins. Uh, they seem to work about the same length of time. Uh, the Xeomin units are similar to the Botox units. The Dysport units are different. You know, I, the, I, I don't think that we should get uh, the idea that these are that there are big differences between these. There, there may be small differences, and uh, we're in the process of comparing them clinically at the present time. And you've come up with your um, clinical experience, which is valuable, and, and gradually we'll build up experience, which tells us where the answers lie. You know, it's easy to forget what a young treatment this really is. You know, it was it really, it's the mid-80s, and you know, we're not talking about a large experience where we've got, you know, you, you look at penicillin, and it's a whole different ball of wax as a drug, and it uses a drug, particularly for cosmetic purposes. It's got a very time, short... At the same yeah. time, we do have 30 years of use in humans, uh, and I, I don't want people to feel that this is something new and experimental. 
we have a very good, solid basis of safety over 30 years in humans. Oh, absolutely. A fair, fair point. Uh, but I, I just mean to say that we don't have the comparative data when you're, you know, and we're talking about Botox primarily. If you bring Dysport into the mix, well, Dysport in the United States is a very short uh, run in terms of how long we've had it and how many patients have been treated here. Worldwide, of course, the population is much larger. But I guess the point is to compare one to the other. As you've mentioned, we need big numbers, so to accumulate those numbers is going to take some time. But thankfully, in the cosmetic world, it's such a popular thing that those numbers should not be that difficult to accumulate in a reasonably short period of time. And I suspect that we're going to see exactly what you're implying, is that if there are differences, they're probably not consistent, and they're probably not significant either. Uh, Dr. Flynn, your feelings uh, in terms of the, these three products? Well, you know, in our hands and, and, and also in, in research projects that, that Dr. Carruthers and I have both participated in, certainly when we compare Botox with Xeomin, the, the doses are really the same doses are used. We participated in a study in which we treated about 400 research subjects, and we dosed about these research subjects about twice the number of subjects with Xeomin, and then about a you know group with Botox, and the same doses were used for both the Xeomin for the Botox, 24 units in the area we call the glabella, those treating those little lines in between the eyebrows, and and the results were exactly the same. We got the same duration of effect. We got the same degree of effect. Uh, we were judging these uh, improvements that the people got. They got the same degree of improvement. And then, Adam, importantly, we looked out there to see were there any increased adverse events, any undesirable effects that occurred in either group. Remember, we treated more people with CM and the Botox trying to pick up a few more adverse events if they were there. And guess what? There were, there were really the same number of adverse events. Now, now with this port, you really have to dose that at a different ratio. You can't use the exact same number of units. The Dysport unit isn't really the same as the Botox unit. And that's what Dr. Carruthers was saying as you try and increase this ratio to try and get an equivalent effect, then you do see some changes with respect to the diffusion or how far the toxin moves around in the tissue. But, but these, again, are, are differences that most physicians can learn to cope with in their injection pattern and their, the amount of dose that they give so that we see out there in practice, we see doctors who prefer one toxin over another, and we have certain patients who prefer one toxin over the other. But, but largely, these differences are subtle and can be learned the differences to produce a very nice result. So the take-home message for people listening is that really, so long as the, the doctor that's doing the injections is experienced and knows the right dosing to get the effect that we're looking for, there really are going to be minimal, if any, differences for the average patient, though there may be some individual differences. And the thing to, uh, one thing to make clear, this sport is still botulinum toxin type A. What we're talking about are the concentrations of the units. One vial of Botox, the typical vial that a doctor will get for cosmetic purposes, really for therapeutic purposes, is 100 units in that vial. And that 100 units has to get reconstituted. So we inject 
a little bit of saline in there, a certain concentration is derived, and then we know exactly how much to inject to get a certain number of units per little injection. Well, the same vial of Dysport is actually 300 units. So it's the way that the units are calculated, the way that the concentration is derived is dependent upon how you mix it and how much you inject each time. And so what Dr. Carruthers and Dr. Flynn are explaining is that as long as you have an experienced doctor that is using dosage that is going to be more or less equivalent to the dosing for Botox and I guess therefore uh, Xeomin, that the results are going to be very comparable. It shouldn't be that different. You shouldn't be concerned about there being something different about the concentrations or the, the unit equivalency of Dysport and Botox. That's all controlled by your doctor. But when it comes down to it, at the end, you have to kind of discover your own differences. And it's possible that some people will have better onset, longer duration using Xeomin or using Dysport as compared to Botox. And that's going to be an individual thing for each person out there to figure out for yourself. And no reason not to try them all if you're interested in having these treatments or you have ongoing treatments. And again, we all have patients that say, look, it ain't broke. I don't want to fix it. I've been using Botox for 10 years, and that's what I want to keep using. And that's great. That's fine. These are all valid choices and options. And really, the differences are going to be so individual, you have to discover it for yourself until we have very big numbers. And as I suspect, and I think Dr. Carruthers and Dr. Flynn, you, it sounds like you probably agree, all of these are the same class of botulinum toxin. They're all type A. They're all derived in the same way, more or less. And so the effect they have on the body is going to be pretty much the same, no matter which one you're choosing. The, the good news is, no matter which one you choose, you're going to get a great result. Well, I will say, Adam, you've used a very important term multiple times, and that is individual. And, you know, each person requires their own individual injection pattern, their own individual treatment dose. For instance, in some very important work that Dr. Carruthers and his wife had done, they showed in an elegant manner that men require more toxin to achieve the same result when compared to women. Now, I think it may be due to the fact that, you know, maybe men frown more, we're more unhappy, we don't know. It, it may be an effect of testosterone on skeletal muscle and the fact that if you do have testosterone, you know, you do build bigger muscles and so therefore it would stand to reason you're going to need a higher dose. So I think any patient who goes in, her or his dose will be individualized and very oftentimes if the result is not what the doctor or the patient wanted, they may need a higher dose. And so the physician will adjust that because it's an individualized treatment. Excellent point. And bringing up the idea of differing doses also implies there may be things that are affecting how this stuff works for each patient individually and maybe things that we can control. We're going to take a short commercial break. When we come back, we're going to introduce Dr. Charles Saparkar, who is a board-certified ophthalmologist and has done really interesting work looking at diet and the effects on Botox treatments. There may be things you can eat or things that you can take to make your, your results worse and, in fact, make your results even better. We'll be right back after this short break with Dr. Saparkar talking about diet and Botox here on New Reflections. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. If you need a coronary bypass procedure, you probably want someone you trust and not the biggest bargain in town. You might get more than you bargained for. This is your face and body we're talking about. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust, and you can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation in a multilingual office. That's 305-792-7575. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard and the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to New Reflections. We're having a terrific discussion about the neurotoxins. That's Botox, Dysport, Xeomin. And we're going to talk about, coming up, uh, in a little bit later in the show, Dr. Carruthers is going to share with us work he's doing on a topical use of Botox. Maybe you don't even need to have the injections. Just rub it in and let it sink in and it'll do its job. We'll talk about that. That's really exciting. And when we went to break, we were talking about how different people may have different results with the same dosing and the same medication, whether it's Botox, Dysport, or Xeomin. And one of the reasons might be, as Dr. Flynn was suggesting, the thickness of the muscle, the toughness of the muscle, the hormone levels uh, that are different between men and women and, and varying hormones. But our next guest has done some work looking at diet and has really interesting things to say about how what you're eating and some supplements you might be taking or not taking can help or hurt your results with Botox. So I want to introduce to the show Dr. Charles Saparkar, who is a board-certified ophthalmologist and has done tremendous work looking at things that can affect your Botox treatments. Dr. Saparkar, welcome to New Reflections. Thank you, Adam. Uh, and it's a, it's a pleasure to be with Dr. Crothers and Dr. Flynn. This is a real tour de force today. Yeah, you know, and I want to I want to bring this up. If you have any questions whatsoever about the use of botulinum toxins, Botox, Dysport, Xeomin, any whatsoever, the lineup that we have today is a group of of doctors you're not going to see together too often, and you have an opportunity to call in and ask any questions that you'd like to have from the absolute authorities worldwide in the use of Botox. If you want to give us a call, it's eight six six. Four seven two five seven nine two to call into the studio and have your questions answered live on the air. This is a really world class opportunity for you uh, if you'd like to call in and have your questions answered. Uh, well, so, Dr. Sparkar, tell me, how did you begin thinking about how diet can make things different? Well, Adam, you know, I tell all the young physicians that come by and train with me that the time that they will have the greatest impact in the field is when they are first learning because they are not ingrained into a pattern of treatment. And we have uh, 
a large population of patients who we treat for blepharospasm, as Dr. Crothers explained earlier, is an inability to open the eyes properly. And we've had a, a fair number of these patients uh, gravitate to us who are very difficult to treat patients and they've not responded terribly well to Botox or other botulinum toxins. And one day, we had a medical student in with us, and I was bemoaning the fact that these patients come in, and sometimes they have a great effect, and other times they don't have such a good effect. And the medical student said to me, could it be diet? And at first I said, diet? No. Then I began to think about it, and I began to look more critically at what Botox is. It's an enzyme that requires zinc. No zinc, botulinum toxins have no effect at all. And then I began to look more carefully at how the toxins are made. And it turns out that these toxins, as we've talked about, are purified from bacteria, and then they're freeze-dried so that they can be stored and sold commercially and have a shelf life. And the folks that developed these toxins found that if they added zinc to the toxins as they were being freeze-dried, they could not recover the effect of the toxins. So they eliminated zinc from the freeze-dry process. And then I began to wonder, is zinc really a problem? I mean, we all have zinc in us. Why would that be a problem? And it turns out that the federal government here in the United States estimates that 50% of adults are not taking in as much zinc as they should. And as many as 30% are showing signs of some zinc deficiency. That's amazing. That's shocking. And we wondered whether if we give zinc to patients, just give them some zinc, would it make a difference? So we took 99 patients and we took their individualized patterns and doses. As we talked about before, every patient has a different dose, a different pattern, and they may have had different choices of their favorite favorite toxin. And we gave them either a placebo or we gave them what the United States government thinks is a reasonable dose of, of zinc uh, for daily intake. And then we gave them a super dose of zinc with something else called phytase. And we'll talk about that in a second. And we randomized the patients in terms of what they were getting and when they were getting it. We had a washout period in between. So, for example, if you were a patient who was getting Botox every four months, you got your treatment, uh, the same pattern that you'd normally get. You may have had a placebo. Then you'd have a washout period where you would get nothing. Then you might have uh, the lower-dose zinc. Then you'd have a washout period. Then you might get the higher-dose zinc with the phytase. So all of the patients received all three of the, the potential zinc supplement options. Well, actually, we started 99 patients into the into this study, and partway through, uh, the clinical effects unmasked the treatment. And I'll give you an example. We had one patient who was uh, coming in for Botox treatments, and she was being driven 450 miles each way by her family. Uh, she'd been treated uh, by seven other physicians, no effect with her Botox. She'd, for six years, she'd had this blepharospasm problem, and she was getting pretty mediocre treatment uh, effects from us. She took this higher level of zinc and the phytase, and she drove herself. For the first time in six years, she drove, and she drove 450 miles by herself and said, I need more of that stuff with my next treatment. 
So, <laughs> you know, this well, was, that was pretty profound. And we've, we've found, uh, very impressive effects among people who are doing poorly before. And we found many people have a longer duration and a bigger effect. So if we look at this study, 77 patients actually, and this was over about four years, uh, 77 patients got the higher dose and something else, the lower dose or placebo. 92% of them had a longer duration of effect, and uh, 30% of them had a better effect. And if it was, if they had a better effect, 50% of them uh, had a significant improvement in, in effect. So let me just talk a little bit about zinc and phytase. It turns out that most of our zinc we get from our diet from proteins, animal proteins. You can get it from plant sources, but most of the best zinc comes from uh, animal proteins. The problem is that there are these things called phytates, which bind zinc and prevent us from absorbing the zinc. And, you know, a quick example, if I were to have a steak dinner and I had a steak, which has a lot of zinc in it, and then I also had a whole grain roll. That whole grain roll has enough phytate in it to uh, negate 25 times as much steak per weight. So you, 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 then essentially you would get no effect of the zinc. And so, exactly. so the, the phytase, it sounds like, is an enzyme that kind of eliminates to some extent the phytate that might be in the diet and allow that zinc to be absorbed. Exactly right. Great. So we, we found that if we gave people zinc and phytase at the same time, uh, it seemed to have a significant impact on their botulinum toxin treatment. And so there is the birth of zytase. Correct. And to tell, what is a typical protocol for zytase? If someone is going to have their Botox injections, when do they take it and how often do they need to take it? What, what would someone need to do? So Zytase is a commercially available product that make, that mixes zinc and phytase. And uh, one takes it four days before the treatment and then on the day of the treatment of the, bo- of the botulinum toxin. And it's limited in how much you can take, so it's sold in a little blister pack. And the idea is that people then won't take too much um, because you can get a zinc toxicity uh, if you take too much zinc. And what would what would be signs of that? The signs of zinc toxicity? Mm-hmm. Well, there are subtle signs, and then there are more profound signs. I mean, you have to understand that um, there are about two to three hundred uh, zinc dependent enzymes in the body, and if they are overacting, it's just as much of a problem as if they're underacting. But the bigger problem with too much zinc is that it excludes iron, copper, magnesium, manganese, and those are all very important uh, elements for us to have in our body. So if you so, have too much zinc, so, you don't get enough of these other things. Right, so you can upset the balance. Okay, so this five-day dose is really what you'd need to do to maximize the, the effects of zytase in improving the Botox treatments. Well, I don't really know the answer to that question because <laughs> we haven't done... A complex dose-dependent trial. All I can tell you is that this particular dose had that effect. I have a couple of patients that take half the Zytase dose and say that that works best for them, 
and it, and I've had uh, two patients who take twice the Zytase dose. So I don't really know what is the best dose for everybody. All I can tell you is that this has worked pretty well. And what's interesting also, you were talking about large studies through the FDA. You know, if you look at the insert that comes with the cosmetic Botox, for example, there is no difference in the studies that were submitted to the FDA in patients over the age of 65, whether you take Botox or you do not. That's profound. And you look at patients who have zinc deficiencies, zinc deficiency is much more common over the age of 65 than under 65. That's interesting stuff. Dr. Carruthers, Dr. Flynn, what are your thoughts, the the role of zinc potentially in the results of Botox or botulinum treatments in general? Uh, this is uh, Dr. Sabaka's area of expertise. <clears throat> I've not worked with zinc, and, and I, I would hate to comment. Uh, I have to accept his uh, scientific uh, uh, results uh, as demonstrating. But he, he is here uh, talking about individuals who don't respond well to botulinum toxin. And thank goodness the majority of people do respond pretty well. Whether you would improve the effect in people who get a normal response, I I don't know. Dr. Flynn? Well, I would just agree with Dr. Carruthers, but I would say I'm absolutely going to go to some of my patients, who, particularly those people who are approaching 65 or older, and say if they did think there was something different, why don't we give it a try? Because, of course... This is an over-the-counter product, should be easily obtainable, and it would be fascinating to see the results. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, I am too, and I haven't yet tried it in my practice, but uh, you know, after hearing about it at one of our, our national meetings and uh, looking into it, I, it was really intriguing to me. It's something that I know I'm going to be offering to my patients, uh, see if it, if it makes a difference. Now, Dr. Saparkar, are there studies ongoing looking at dosage or trying to maximize the effects here, really tune it in to the best for, for the effect that we're looking for? Well, the problem is that you're talking about a very large, very complicated study when you start looking at different doses. And we just happened to come across a dose that seemed to affect the majority of people that we looked at. So we have a pretty robust animal study that we are conducting. But the problem is that it's an animal study. And as we've already talked about, unit dose effects in mice is very different from that in people. So I don't know how we're really going to get to the bottom of this unless there's a large uh, multinational study that's conducted to tell us what's going to be the absolute correct dose for everybody. And the thing that's interesting to me is that, yes, we conducted this study initially in patients that were really struggling and profound impact, but we've also extended the study to some of our cosmetic patients and some of our easier responding patients to, to botulinum toxins. And it's remarkable how many of those people are now coming in less frequently. And they, they come in and they say, listen, my toxin effect is now lasting another 30%, another 40%. Uh, so I, well, I, you know, that'll, that'll be pretty easy to see just from an anecdotal point of view because, you know, you, when you inject somebody, you know you're going to see them in their usual interval, whether it's three months, four months, whatever they normally come in for. Exactly and, right. you know, when, when they show up, because, you know, most of the time, at least in my practice, I see most patients will come in because they're due to come in and they know the time's gone by and they're, they're used to it. And sometimes I'll see them and say, you know, you don't really need it yet. Come back next month or come back, you know, in a few weeks and we'll see when you start seeing the muscle working. So I think we'll, we'll be able to judge that and it's, it's really exciting. 
And another thing that I wanted to get to, because we're running short on time, and I want to make sure we cover this, uh, Dr. Carruthers, you have some really exciting news about possibly using Botox topically. Tell us about that. Um, over the years, people have said to me, what about using it uh, without needles, just rubbing it on the skin? And I've said, that's ridiculous. It's a huge molecule. It's um, very large. There's no way it's going to go through intact skin. Well, this company called Revance in California, and I want to say right at the outset, I have no commercial interest. I don't own stock in it. I don't, they've never paid me for anything. Uh, they have come up with a method of getting large molecules through the skin. It doesn't matter whether it's insulin or growth hormone or all kinds of other big molecules, but they're particularly focusing on botulinum toxin. And, and the material they're using is actually their own botulinum toxin, uh, but it's very similar to Xeomin. In other words, it's a purified form, and it does go through skin. So they have experimented uh, in the crow's feet area, demonstrated that it works to the satisfaction of the FDA, who are allowing them to go on to phase three testing. They uh, also have uh, experimented with um, uh, underarm sweating, which also works, and they've got some data on migraines. But this is spectacular. What we're talking about, I mean, this, this is really revolutionary. I mean, it probably uh, almost as, as much so as, you know, your and, and your wife's revelation in the cosmetic use of Botox, the well, topical you know, when use. When and I began, we stood up and we said, look, we've got this stuff. We're going to use the most deadly material known to humanity, and it's only going to last <laughs> for four or five months. Everyone said, well, that's a really crazy idea. It's going to go nowhere. And I think that this topical thing is, uh, is, has the same potential because um, it's going to change the game. How is it going to change the game? Well, for example, if you go over to Europe, they, they're fascinated by this concept called mesobotox, mesotherapy using botulinum toxin. And people are going bang, 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 bang all over the face to improve redness, uh, freckling, um, sweating, oiliness, skin tone. Well, wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to put a botulinum toxin cream on the face, which is going to reduce sweating, reduce oiliness, reduce flushing, all of which we know is sensitive to botulinum toxin. And you can get it in just with a cream, not with needles. And, and well, I mean, just imagine, you mentioned the hyperhidrosis of the excessive sweating in the underarms. People have it in their hands, in their feet, in their underarm areas. Just to rub a cream on and let it soak in, that's got to be a lot easier for patients to tolerate than the multiple injections you normally have to have. Huge potential. It's got huge potential. Do you want to hear the most exciting thing, at least for me? So the scientists there, um, they've got this um, material which is cooked up so it'll go through intact skin. So they thought, I wonder what happens if you inject it. So they injected it to some, into some um, experimental animals, and they demonstrated that they could increase the duration of botulinum toxin effect in these experimental animals by 100%. Unbelievable. Just so, probably uh, for almost um, a depot effect. Exactly. So that the things that we're talking about, the difficulty with duration, may be solved by this um, addition to the molecule, this coating of the molecule, which allows it to go through intact skin. So um, 
Yes, there are the things that we are using botulinum toxin for at the present time, such as wrinkles, um, sweating, which are, are going to be uh, probably improved significantly by being able to do it topically. But there is the whole new ball game out there, which I find very exciting. It really is pretty impressive, and we're coming down to the end of the show, and this is really, really exciting stuff. I'm anxious to see when it comes to the market. There's one thing, Dr. Carruthers, we were all discussing before, uh, during the break, and I want to make sure we get this out for folks that are listening. Dr. Carruthers mentioned the idea of making sure you're only treated with FDA-approved Botox, Dysport, Xeomin, etc., that these are all properly FDA-approved products. You can get into a lot of trouble. And the type of trouble that you may not be able to recover from in some cases, if you experiment with ordering your own stuff online, Lord knows where it comes from. If you experiment with using non-FDA approved substances, because you know the FDA exists for your protection, and it, it's there to keep you safe. Don't circumvent it. Don't save a couple dollars, because sometimes saving a couple dollars will get you more than you bargained for. Stick with the brand names, Botox, Dysport, Xeomin when it's uh, finally available in the United States, and uh, and think about Zytase to help augment your results. I want to thank... My say, uh, shop for your shoes, not for your face. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, I want to thank my, my tremendous panel of guests today, Dr. Alistair Carruthers, Dr. Timothy Flynn, and Dr. Charles Saparkar. Thanks so much for coming on the show. If anyone wants more information, Dr. Carruthers, how can someone uh, learn more about you and, and find you? Uh, my uh, website is Alistair, or my uh, address is Alistair at Carruthers.net. Perfect. So you can even email Dr. Carruthers directly. Dr. Flynn, how can someone find you if they're in your area looking for treatment? It's so easy. Our practice is called the Cary Skin Center in Cary, North Carolina, www.caryskincenter.com, and go on there and you can read all about us and contact us. Excellent. Dr. Saparkar, if they're down in Texas or up in the Panhandle, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, www.plasticeyesurgery.com Excellent. Well, we've had the most distinguished panel today. I thank all of you for taking your time and coming on the show. And thanks for listening. This has been New Reflections. And shows coming up, we're going to be discussing new breast implants. We just talked about the new Botox. Well, there's new breast implants on the market. We'll be bringing that to you very soon and talking about all sorts of new things in cosmetic surgery and products and wellness in coming weeks. Stay tuned every week, 12 to 1 Eastern Time, 9 to 10 Pacific, here on VoiceAmerica.com show, New Reflections. Thanks for listening. We hope you stayed informed and entertained today on New Reflections. Please join your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein, again next Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You can also email the doctor at info at dr-rubenstein.com or visit his website at www.dr-rubenstein.com. And don't forget to join us next Saturday for new reflections on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a beautiful weekend.